Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Well, Ian, it is the end of an era in Broncos country. John Elway is stepping aside. He's relinquishing his general manager's duties. He has given himself a, a promotion, I suppose, an elevated position, if you will. So he is going to be moving into what I don't know what the role is exactly. I can't remember. And it, it's almost completely unimportant, but he is no longer going to be making personnel decisions for the Denver Broncos. And you, you, you can get into all kinds of conversations about you know, how it started, how it ended, and we will definitely do that and we will talk about those things. But I think what it really does is it marks a true end of an era for the Denver Broncos. John Elway has been, since 1983, one of the most important figures, if not the most important figure, maybe next to a Pat Bolin, uh, in Broncos history. And so... This is for us, I think, sort of a, a big shift because I don't really remember a time when John Elway wasn't a part of the Denver Broncos. Even after he had retired and was gone for a little while, remember they started the the Arena Football League team, the Orange Crush, but whatnot. You could tell there was some grooming going on there, and he was probably going to return eventually to the Denver Broncos in some capacity. And then when he did come back, it was – It was to great success. I don't think there's any uh, other way to say that. There was great success under John Elway's leadership with the Denver Broncos uh, that that led to uh, a couple of Super Bowl appearances and a Super Bowl win. And, yes, bringing in Peyton Manning was a big part of that. But this is is the end of the road, if you will. And and while he's going to be uh, moving into a different office and a a different parking spot, he won't be making decisions. He'll, He'll give his input, I suppose. But I think I said it to you. He's like the Queen of England. And then you correct me. Who did you say he was now? Prince Philip. Thank you. Prince Philip. If, for those of you who don't know, I believe Prince Philip is is the Queen of England's uh, husband. The Duke of Edinburgh. If you will. And he, he makes no decisions. So he just sits around and, and does nothing all day. Like literally no decisions. I think at least the Queen has like um, things she has to do, right? She goes to Parliament and... Oh. Talks to the prime minister. Sure. Talks to the prime minister. Goes. She has to open parliament and close parliament. That's a that's a big one. Uh, and then approves the budget, maybe something like that. I don't know. Somebody in uh, maybe Colm can let us know, or somebody over in uh, Broncos Europe could 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 tweet at us and give us the lowdown on what happens with the royal family in England because I don't care. But this you is, obviously haven't watched the Crown. I, I haven't. I have not watched. I apologize. To those of you who watch The Crown, I think the old man and my mom are watching The Crown right now. It's very good. I, I would I've heard, recommend it. You know, just a little tangent here. Haven't done one in a while. We started to watch The Crown in my house. And by, say, by saying we, I mean we were sitting around one day and I thought, I wonder if my wife would like this. And I turned it on and she did not want to watch it at all. She said to me, what is this? I said, it's The Crown. She goes, what's that? And I said, it's a show on Netflix. And she goes, why would I want to watch this? And I was like. I guess you wouldn't. So I turned it off. Honest, uh, to get even more off the rails here. Here we go. It is amazing to me. Not to throw my mom under the bus here, but she was born in 1952. 
Queen Elizabeth has been queen longer than my mom has been alive. It's a long that time. That is amazing. I believe they say long may she reign. I think that's a very British thing. Long may she reign. Something like that. I don't I don't know. Anyway, I, I, let's get back to, to talking about John Elway and the Denver Broncos. It, it is a uh, <laughs> even though we made fun of it, it is a bit of a sad moment here. There's uh, that sigh of relief that that you could certainly breathe. I think a lot of people were hoping that uh, this would be kind of the end for John Elway. Things have not gone well uh, after the Super Bowl win. And so there's a little bit of relief there, but it's sad. And it comes on the heels of, of the death of Floyd Little, who uh, also meant uh, so much to the Denver Broncos. And so it's. It's really big shifts in a very short amount of time and a lot of changes in Broncos country. And and for the better or not, I, I guess we'll find out, but it's changed nonetheless. It's definitely somber because I, I think back to May 1999 when John Elway gave the speech he knew he needed to give but didn't want to because his mind was right. It was his body that couldn't keep doing it. And it is still, along with the retirement of Peyton Manning in 2016 after the, the Super Bowl 50 win, it, it was one of the moments, especially as a kid, because you and I were both seniors in high school about ready to graduate. It, it was a very somber moment. It, it was like our childhood was metaphorically and realistically coming to an end. And now this has the same kind of feel to it. It's very somber. It's an icon moving on. And I, I respect John Elway for wanting to do it. Whether or not he was pushed into it by Joe Ellis or not, they started talking about this, thinking about it around the Buffalo Bills game. And if, if people go back and listen... It was around that time Mike Kliss hinted that something major could be happening. I wonder if he got wind of this. And yeah, I thought about that. Because it, it really is seismic. It, I mean, John Elway is the face of the Denver Broncos. And despite what's happened the last four years, and we have been incredibly hard on John Elway, but the last four years with four straight losing seasons, five seasons without making the playoffs since the Super Bowl win. But I thought Andrew Mason nailed it with a thread that he sent out last night when he said, the more I think about it, the more I'm happy that things worked out as they did. R.E. Elway. If the team had struggled again in 2021, if it had been sold and a new owner wanted another GM, Broncos country would have endured the dismissal of the biggest legend in team annals. Mace went on to add, no one wants that. No one wants the sights that Cowboys fans had in 1989 of Tom Landry cleaning out his office after 29 years as head coach, of the new owner interviewing Landry's re replacement at one of the old coach's favorite restaurants. Elway now moves to a different role. The process had dignity befitting someone who contributed so much to taking the Broncos to their peak accomplishments. The last four seasons are what they are, but the Broncos are far better because Elway walked through their front door in 1983. I think that's I think that perfectly says it. Yeah, 
I, I think it really does. And and again, I, you know, I kind of go back to what you were saying, and I'll echo it a little bit. Uh, it is an end for guys like us, right? Uh, if, if you're listening to this show and you're in your late 30s, to early 40s, you grew up idolizing John Elway, especially if you were uh, one of those kids that was fortunate enough to go sit on the hill at the University of Northern Colorado and, and watch him uh, do things during training camp in, in Greeley. Uh, the the way that he became sort of like the the king of Colorado, if you will, and I say that without any sort of like there, there's no irony there. It, he really was the, the king of Colorado. And uh, if you were to interview enough people, someone and ask them, who's the governor of Colorado? I guarantee a percentage of people would have said, isn't it John Elway? Because that's how important he was as a player to people who were in Colorado and people who grew up Bronco fans. And, and I suppose people throughout the region that maybe weren't in Colorado. And so to, to see this, and to know that the end had to come eventually anyway. Uh, it is nice, I suppose, that he's getting that sort of um, promotion, if you will, right? That elevated position that has very little to, to do with any actual football stuff. He's a, he's a figurehead now, which is fine. Uh, that, that's kind of what happens to people. But it is, it is sad. It is sad to know that this is how it ended. And, and you're right. Uh, I, I think, you know, when I was thinking about this yesterday as it was happening, I remembered the Mike Cliss stuff. And we talked about it. We talked about it on the podcast. You know, we, we weren't going to speculate any further, but I, I think that this might have been the scenario that Mike Cliss was sort of bouncing around in his head because he is tied into the franchise and knows what's going on. And they, you know, they definitely uh, work together on certain things. And so he probably saw this coming, whether because somebody said something to him or he heard something, or he just kind of figured it out on his own. You, you could tell that there was some, if something big is what he was talking about. This is big, right? If you're, if you're going to talk about seismic shift, this is a seismic shift. And so that's what has happened in, in Broncos country. The end of this 2020 season, a disappointing uh, letdown of a season where the beginning of the season was, was you know supposed to be the start of a big run for this young quarterback and this young team and ended up being just another 5-11 and 11 high draft pick season. It ends with John Elway stepping aside and and probably, and I, this might not feel good for some people, but I think most people will agree, probably for the best. If they do this right, this could make this young roster that much better. And it all depends on what they do moving forward when it comes to bringing in a new general manager. One thing before we move on to who the potential candidates could be. I always find it interesting, and we talked about this before we started recording, and it's from my former executive editor at the Wyoming Tribune Eagle. It's always interesting in moments in life like this where it, people act like they died. Like all, all the talk about, I mean, it is somber, but it, John Elway didn't die. Like this isn't an obit. This is just a, a chap, another chapter closing on his life. And it's an, it is sad. Um, he is the face of the Broncos, but it is interesting in moments like this where it is treated like a death. I just think that's really weird and ironic. Sure. No, and it kind of is a death. It's the death of his career, I suppose, because he's uh, he's no longer going to be making decisions. But it is something that I, th I think you're absolutely right. You're, as you say that, I, I start to think about that scene in Remember the Titans after Bertier is injured and, and you know, uh, Coach Yost goes in and he starts to talk about uh, reflection and, you know, he's sitting and praying. He's like, Coach, 
I'm injured. I'm not dead. Like, it's like let's not let's not act like I died here. I mean, I just I'm just hurt. You know, John Elway's not dead. He's just done, and that's okay. And that that's like I said, that could end up being the best thing for this franchise moving forward. That's the hope at this point. Absolutely, it it is the right move to make. The reason that I like it is because the general manager is going to have full say. He will have final decision making on the roster whether it's free agency, whether it's the draft, it will be the general manager's decision. And that is huge. To be able to get somebody from outside this organization, and the reason it's happening is because Matt Russell retired. So there are actually two openings for the Broncos. You have a general manager opening and a director of player personnel opening. And that's because Matt Russell uh, retired. So to get someone who has not been a part of the organization, at least for the last couple of years, to get fresh eyes, a fresh take, is huge and what this franchise needs. To get new blood in, in what, the organi- what the franchise looks like right now, what is the ros- what's the makeup of the roster, who needs to be kept, who needs to be added, where do they go. That's why I like it. To have final authority on roster decision is huge. Yeah, I think that that is that is key to making this a, a, also a desirable location. And we, when you talk about how much the NFL is changing right now, there are several openings out there for GM, player personnel, assistant president, vice president, whatever, of player personnel. There's a lot of positions that are open that guys are going to want to fill, that guys are going to want to take. And going into a scenario where – you know, if, if John Elway had stepped aside but was still going to have input, that's not a place I want to go if I'm a young GM looking to make my mark in the world. And understanding that, I think, is, is a big part of why John Elway has said, you know, I'm, I'm there. You want to ask me questions, fantastic, but I don't have any say in anything. That's going to be something that is, is helpful. I, I think the one worry, and, and this is something that the Broncos do push a little bit, and we'll get into it a little bit more uh, later in the show, but – is the idea of Vic Fangio still going to be there, right? It's it's Vic Fangio's head coaching job. It doesn't look like that's going to be something that a GM is allowed to come in and change. And I'm not calling for Vic Fangio to be fired. I don't think he should be. But I, I do think that when a new GM comes in, they like to come in with their own regime. They like to, they like to make those changes. And so this will be uh, an important part of that. When you look at guys who could come in and potentially take over as the GM – you are going to have to find somebody who can work with Vic Fangio and who maybe has worked with Vic Fangio. So I don't know, maybe that is our segue into guys that are potentially uh, good hires for the Broncos, because there are a few that are on, on the list. Your trackers up. If you know, if you're not paying attention to the mile high report tracker, jump on there. Ian's doing a good job of keeping that up to date. And there's a couple who there's, there's one who's already uh, had the request for an interview. And it's actually been confirmed that the interview was granted to Joe Ellis and the Broncos, and that's Champ Kelly. His current role as Chicago Bears assistant director of player personnel, he was with the Broncos um, before he went to Chicago. He helped put that defense together that led to a Super Bowl win in Super Bowl 50. So he has experience of bringing big-name free agents in and attracting them to Denver. So that's one of the appeals of Champ Kelly. Um, 
Some of the other names that have been rumored to have interest, Adam Peters, who is the San Francisco 49ers vice president of player personnel. He is another one who worked with John Elway and the Broncos before he moved on to San Francisco to work with John Lynch. John Spitek, who is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers director of player personnel. He is on the rumored interest. He was also with the Broncos. And then the other name that got thrown out by Mike Garofolo with NFL Network and some other Woody Page threw him out initially is former Atlanta Falcons general manager Thomas Dimitrov. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, there's there's a lot of names. There's a lot of uh, potential out there. You know, you know it, it's interesting if you look at some of these names and you look at some of these guys, especially the, the Champ Kelly one, and I'm just going off of the Joe Ellis um, quotes from the press conference diversity is is clearly something that they are taking into account and i and i i don't think it's any secret that the denver broncos want to get better about that and you made mention before we started to record that the denver broncos the players 75 percent of them are african-american so 75 percent of your players are black bringing in a, a general manager that fits into that particular demographic is probably something that the broncos might consider just because it is it's the right move to just go get the right guy in general. So it doesn't matter what color his skin is, but also building that diversity makes it a more desirable place for players to come to. I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. And I think that Joe Ellis making mention of that over and over again, because he said it a few times does really give you an indication of, of what direction the Denver Broncos are, are trying to go with that where they end up. I don't know. Right. I mean, that's kind of the thing where you don't really know what's going to happen again, because you don't know who wants to come to Denver. You don't know if guys want to go somewhere else. You don't know who's going to come in and have a, an incredible interview and, and maybe just blow the, blow the doors off the place. But it is something that they are focusing on as well. To bring up, to bring it back to the diverse, the, the, the diversity issue, Jim Trotter had an amazing segment on NFL network on Monday where they were talking about it, talking about the Rooney rule, talking about the still the the, the lack of diversity in terms of, of head coaches, in terms of general managers. And I, I I would I would beg everyone listening to this to go and watch it because it was powerful. And Jim Trotter is remarkable. He's a remarkable journalist. He's a member of the selection committee for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Go and watch it. Because as he said, it's not a coaching issue. It's not a front office issue. It's an ownership issue. Maybe and, maybe not having owners in Denver is a good thing right now. <laughs> so I, I applaud Joe Ellis for saying that diversity is going to be uh, a part of this. And when you look at the candidates that they're looking at, Champ Kelly being one of them, I, I hope we get to the point where you don't have to have a rule in place to interview people. Just interview the best candidates. And I know that sounds simple, but I hope we get to that point in the National Football League. In terms of other people, we mentioned the four who have rumored interest. There are a couple of names that are very appealing. Rick Smith is one. He had ties to the Broncos before he went to the Houston Texans, I believe from 2006 to 2017. And I think, I think Smith gets a bad rap because of the idiot he was working with and Bill O'Brien. It wasn't Rick Smith who blew up the Texans. It was Bill O'Brien. Another name that's thrown around and I think should be high on the list is Lewis Riddick. 
he's been been around the league. He knows the league. I think he is an up and coming front office guru. And I think the Broncos would be smart to get, to get him in, to talk to him, to see what he can offer. And he, I mean, he's been around the league. He's, he's as an analyst at ESPN and now as a color commentator for Monday night football. And then another name that Woody Page threw out and some others, John Dorsey. I mean, he's the one who put that Chiefs roster together that won a Super Bowl. And then he's also the one who put that Browns roster together, drafted Baker Mayfield. I don't think they'll go that route. The name that doesn't get mentioned, and Woody Page is the only one to throw it out. And some others may have done so as well. But Terry Fontenot who is the New Orleans Saints vice president and assistant general manager of player of pro personnel. Given what the Saints have done in the draft and how successful they've been with Sean Payton, they need to at least look at Fontenot too. So yeah. those are some of the names that I, that I think should be on the interview list after Champ Kelly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and you're absolutely right about Fontenot. You're you're right about Lewis Riddick. I think Riddick is an interesting one uh because he he does have experience as a player as well. So he's he's got that side of it. He, he played in the NFL for a little while uh and then he, and then he sort of moved up the ranks in in the administrative side if you will or the management side. And now to see him on TV and and what he brings to the table, you kind of know what he's about just because he's he's been out there uh, talking about it on on ESPN for sure. Um, I also think that if the Denver Broncos do this right, they're they're already with the talent on this roster, poised to make a move. Uh, I, I I don't believe that five and eleven is the destiny of this Denver Broncos team if they do things correctly when it comes to any moves on the player personnel side, just because of of where they're at. They they do have enough talent to compete for the playoffs and, and make, uh, make things happen. Now, obviously there are some things that have to take place that will um, dictate whether or not they're any good, but it is going to be important. I think the other question you have to ask here, and as you go through this, and when I brought this up a little bit with Vic Fangio, and I'm going to throw Drew Locke in it as well. You've, as you're interviewing these players or as these, these potential GMs, you have to understand what is the impact that it will have on Vic Fangio, who will be a part of the hiring process. So I think he's maybe a little safer. But then also, the the impact it will have on Drew Locke, who uh, I think most of us who look at this logically thought that 2021 was going to be the year, and I, I said this uh, on the last podcast, thought this was going to be the year that, that Fangio, Elway, and, and Locke were tied together. But with Elway moving out of a a sort of decision-making role that changes things especially for drew lock because it sounds like just from everything you hear john elway was drew lock's biggest cheerleader he was his biggest supporter in that building and now with john elway not making those decisions this is probably going to have a big impact on what happens with drew lock moving forward tyler palombas who is now at 1043 uh, FM the fan on the on the drive with DMAC, I thought said it perfectly, and I'm pulling up his tweet here. The new GM will have no ties whatsoever to Drew Locke. Wasn't his draft pick, and he isn't a first rounder. If the new GM doesn't like Locke, the conversation shifts from finding competition to finding a replacement. 
there is a huge difference. Potentially a tough day for Drew Locke. And then Cecil Lammy said this, also in my conversations with league sources today, this move by John Elway to vacate the GM role for the Broncos is considered a bad sign for Drew Locke. I know he has his supporters here, but around the league, he's not regarded that highly. I, I mean, it, it makes sense. As you said, if you look at it logically, there is no tie to Drew Locke for the new general manager. And if he and Joe Rolls is doing a roundtable on specific questions on what the new GM will do. And I think it's coming out on Wednesday or Thursday. I'm not sure of when he's going to get it up. But one of the questions is, will the GM be tied to Drew Locke? And I said, if this is a general manager that has final say over the roster and the makeup of it, no. No, and I think the the big point here is that if you're a general manager coming into this job, you don't want to be tied to Drew Locke because, A, you don't have any faith in him more than likely because you haven't seen what he's been doing uh, as far as like practice and preparation and things like that. So you really don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And B, what you've seen on the field has not been enough to really risk your career on someone else's draft pick. And I think that's the point that you're, you're getting to here. A GM isn't going to come in and risk his own career on somebody else's decisions that took place before he arrived. The Vic Fangio thing that's going to be forced on whoever they hire, which means that whoever they hire is going to have to be someone who wants to work with Vic Fangio and maybe teach him how to manage a clock and understand game management, things like that. But with the quarterback, especially like, like Tyler Columbus said, especially a second round quarterback, eh, you take it or leave it. And so maybe you come in and say, sure, we'll bring in some competition. But, but I think what, what I would like to see and what, what most of us in Broncos country would like to see is a fresh start. I would be uh, remiss if I didn't say right here and right now that what I would prefer to see from whatever new GM that they brought in was something big. I don't, you know, I have my own ideas, something big. And usually something big involves the quarterback position. That's how you make an impact in the NFL is by getting the right quarterback. I feel bad for Drew Locke. I'm I'm not going to sugarcoat that. I feel bad for the kid. I think he likes being a quarterback. I think he's talented enough to be in the league, holding a clipboard probably. Maybe he's one of those guys like a Ryan Tannehill who figures it out down the road and becomes better for it, which if that's the case, then good on him. Go get it. But I'm not sure that Denver is the place for him right now with his biggest fan and his really his only cheerleader stepping aside. And that brings up the other big issues that this general manager is going to have. And that's what they do with Vaughn Miller and Justin Simmons. And I will flat out say, if a general manager comes in and doesn't extend Justin Simmons, Joe Ellis needs to find a new general manager. Immediately. Because that's just stupid. I, I, I mean, you and I have been talking about how Justin Simmons is what you want out of a player who gets extended. He is everything you want on the field and off. He's played every snap the last three years. Every snap. So he's reliable. He's the only 
safety to have multiple interceptions in five straight years in the National Football League. He's a leader on defense. He would, I mean, you those know what, are the players you keep around. Yeah, what he's done in the community too, and I, I think I'll I'll jump in here for you because you're you're hitting on all the NFL's points, right? All the on the field, the the leadership role on the field, fantastic. Off the field, this is a guy you want as a part of your organization. There are guys, there are guys, there are people in this world who you want to be associated with because of who they are and the way that they comport themselves and the way that they do things. Justin Simmons, to me, from everything that I've seen of him on the field and everything that I've seen from him off the field, is exactly that guy. He is exactly the person who you would want him to be. He is someone who uh, cares about his community, cares about his team, cares about the people around him, wants to make a positive impact on the world. That That is a massive, massive plus, in my opinion, for anybody on any in any situation, in any business. And on top of that, he's one of the best at what he does. Like there's, I don't think there's a question here about whether or not Justin Simmons is a good safety. He's a great safety and has been a great safety for the last few years. Sure, he's had his struggles. I remember beginning of the year he was struggling a little bit. You know what? That happens, right? He has proven throughout his career to be one of the best guys at his position. And I definitely understand the the money aspect of it. How much money do you throw at a safety? What's the what's the number you give to a guy that you know you know that is maybe not considered to play a marquee position? I think a little bit about Ed Reed here, and I bring up Ed Reed for a reason. Ed Reed was that guy for the Baltimore Ravens. You can talk about Ray Lewis. You can talk about any other player on that defense. I don't care. Ed Reed was that guy, and in truth. Justin Simmons on this defense is that guy. Not Von Miller, not Shelby Harris, who Shelby Harris I love, right? Not Bring him back. Brent, please. That's another one. Sign that guy. Uh, but that guy? Oh, oh, that guy? When you say, "Oh, that guy?" Justin Simmons is oh, that guy. So, if if I, if I'm Vic Fangio and I'm in on the interview and I'm looking across the table at whoever it is that they're interviewing, I look at him and I go, "What do you think of Justin Simmons?" Because if he says, yeah, he's a good player, I don't know how I feel about this guy. I, I want somebody who appreciates, loves, and adores Justin Simmons the way Broncos country does. Because if you if you look at the way people in Broncos country talk about or listen to the way they talk about Justin Simmons, you know this is a guy you want to keep around. And Von Miller is an interesting one, too, because I I agree with Tim Lynch. He's a champ Bailey. That's somebody that you keep. He is a Bronco. He is one of the most, I mean, the last quarter century, probably, if not the most important, one of the most important Broncos of the last 25 years. What he did in the playoffs is legendary. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a Ring of Famer. Some would argue he's the best defensive player that this franchise has seen. It's it's debatable. I mean, but he's in the discussion. And the fact that you're in the same discussion with Randy Gratishar and Steve Atwater and Louie Wright and Champ Bailey, that's Carl an amazing Mecklenburg. compliment. Carl Mecklenburg, Simon Fletcher, Lyle Alzado. Tom Jackson, just because we love Tom Jackson. Come on. 
Tombstone Jackson. Tombstone Jackson. There it is. We're going back now. The old man will like that one. Billy Thompson. Oh, yeah. There you go. Steve Foley. Sure. Who isn't in the ring of fame. Boggles the mind. I don't know who he's who 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 did he make angry? But I I I think Von Miller needs to be brought back. But I think that's where Vic Fangio will probably have the biggest role. Is what impact and what value Von Miller can still bring to the Broncos, and the only one who can know that, and anyone based in those rooms is Vic Fangio. Yeah, he's he's expensive, right? I, I, I actually think I kind of go the other way with this, and not not in that I don't think it would be great if he was a Bronco for life because that's my preference. But at 32, coming off what you could call a pretty major injury, um, th- there's no way he's going to be as fast. He's definitely on the backside of his career. His value is, is starting to trend more towards the DeMarcus Ware value that you saw at the end of his career in his last three years in Denver. DeMarcus Ware should be a ring of famer, by the way. And so I do I do hope that they keep him around. I would also hope, and, and I don't I don't believe that Von Miller would do this, and I don't think that he should do this, but I would also hope that he'd be willing to restructure his contract and do what he needed to do to stick around and allow the Broncos the cap space that they need to continue to get better. Now, again, I don't think he should in so much as, dude, that's your money, man. Go get your money. But at the same time, to continue to have an impact, a positive impact on this team as you are getting older and trending towards that DeMarcus Ware area of being a specialist and being the guy who, and DeMarcus Ware was great at it, but being the guy who is just essentially a pass rusher, that if that's where Von Miller's headed, his contract doesn't really warrant him uh, being just that. So I, And I don't know what he can be in 2021 because of his injury and because of his age. I, I guess we'll figure that out. But it wouldn't shock me if they decided to move on. It really wouldn't because that's that's what happens. Players like Von Miller, who are great, oftentimes end up on other teams. Think Neil, Neil Smith coming to the Denver Broncos at the end of his career to win a Super Bowl, leaving the or Kansas even, City Chiefs. Or DeMarcus Ware. Sure. I mean, I mean, guys – Steve Atwater went to the Jets. <laughs> Even even Steve uh, would tell you, as he told us on the podcast, that he didn't. He wishes he hadn't done that. <laughs> he would have just finished up as a Bronco and just stayed in Denver. But that's you know that happens, right? That's the NFL. That's the NFL. So I, I don't know what's going to happen when it comes to Von Miller. I wouldn't be surprised either way. I wouldn't be shocked if any of those outcomes played out, where they just said, "All right, whatever," he's on the team, or they said, "Now nah, we're going to cut him," or they said, "Ah, oh, we'll trade him," or they said. Uh, we'll restructure any of those things could happen and none of them would surprise me and I'd be fine probably with all of them I guess but my preference is that he sticks around yeah my preference is that he sticks around but I'm with you I think it could go either way and I think that's why a new general manager is exciting because they're going to come in and they're going to take a look at everything and see what needs to be kept what needs to be moved on who needs to stay who needs to go and Von Miller is in that conversation. But the fact that we can even have this conversation and talk about fresh eyes and a fresh take is what the Broncos need. You can't go four straight years with a losing record, five straight years of not making the playoffs. That's unacceptable. Yeah, and, and so it actually gives, a, gives us an opportunity. I, th- I think this will be the fun thing for us. It gives us an opportunity to talk about, okay, so what would you do? Right, so let's let's jump into it. We've talked a little bit about Drew Locke and Vic Fangio and what the impact is on them. 
what would you do? Right. I mean, and I have, I have like a, I have a list of things, you know, of things I would love to do. Most of them are flights of fancy that will never happen, but you never know. You never know. But what would you do if you are uh, the new general manager of the Denver Broncos? What's your first order of business? I am deciding what it takes to move up in the draft because it's the most important position in sports. If you don't have one, you're not going to win. I mean, I'm not going to get into a QB wins argument. Let's save that for social media. But you need a good quarterback. And if I'm the new general manager, I'm coming in and I'm looking at what do we have to do to get up to number two? What do we have to do to trade with the Jets? Because I want that number two pick. You mentioned something big. Well, something big is moving up from number nine to number two. And I am looking at what it what does it take, whether it's for Justin Fields, whether it's for Zach Wilson. I'm looking at what it takes to get up to number two. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, and I, I'll go even a step further. I'm not just looking at what it takes. I'm already thinking about it. And, and I, will, I will tell you, the things that I am willing to give up for the Denver Broncos to be able to move up and pick number two. And, and this is not a slide at Drew Locke. I'm not, I don't want to get into the, uh, the discussion about whether or not Drew Locke is trending upward and, and going to be good in 2020. I'm not going to do that. That's not what I'm here for. I'm telling and I'm not you, here for that either. Both of time. I mean, it, it, it's a new start. It's right. a fresh start. I think if you're a Drew Locke supporter, that's great. Both of us have been on the fence. We, we said that in 2021, he was going to be the quarterback. Now, that is completely up in the air, and it's up to the new general manager. But if you're listening to this and you're a Locke supporter, you need to brace yourself for the fact that he's not going to be a quarterback for the Denver Broncos. No, because it, the, there's no way this new GM is going to tie his career to somebody he didn't pick. That's that's the, that's the point. It doesn't matter what his skill set is at this point, and that is really important here. Whatever his skill set is and whatever you believe he is going to be, what he has been is not good enough for a new GM to come in and say, wow, I'm really lucky to be coming into a situation where I've got Drew Locke as the quarterback of the future. Now, if I was a new GM going into a situation where, oh, I, I don't know, let's say uh, pick, a, pick a young, let's say I was going to take the job in Houston, Deshaun Watson is the quarterback there, I want that job. Because now I don't have to worry about quarterback because I know who he is and what he's going to be. That makes that actually makes my life easier. But then you look at the rest of the roster and, and, and go, realize oh, they don't have Bill. a draft pick until the third round. You know, come on, Bill O'Brien. How could you be so bad at your job? So intentionally bad. Like, it was awful. But anyway, I digress on that, and I'm going to go into what I would do. The first order of business is you call the Jets because there is nothing in the world that Shad Khan will accept from the from the Jaguars, you know the Jagu- he's the owner of the Jaguars. There's nothing in the world that he would take from you to give up the opportunity to draft Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is a is a is a is a, is, a, is gone, but Justin he's Fields is Jaguar. Justin Justin Fields is there because yep. the, the New York Jets are possibly willing to trade because they've still got Sam Darnold because they 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 do still have him. Now they're in the same situation with Sam Darnold where. Uh, if I'm the new head coach, I don't want to be tied to this guy that I didn't pick and yada, yada. We just talked about that. But how much can I throw 
at the New York Jets to get the second pick in the draft. And I think it's got to be the second pick. I think if you are going any further down than number two, then you're not getting to pick who you want. You're allowing somebody else. If you trade up to the third pick, which you're not going to get to do, the Dolphins aren't dumb, then because the Dolphins have Houston's third pick, <laughs> stupid Bill O'Brien, uh, you're not going to go any you're, – you're, you can't. You have to have the choice at that point. My choice is Justin Fields. Uh, I've, I've, my, I'm that, I'm that social media meme. I'm the meme where, you know, I'm walking with Trevor Lawrence, but now I'm, Ooh, I'm looking at Justin Fields because Trevor Lawrence actually just broke up with me. Probably that's fine. I want Justin Fields. I'm good with that. I'm packaging a deal that includes several first round picks, a few second round picks, and maybe even Bradley Chubb, Cortland Sutton. You, you pick some guys. I don't care. You go and you get your franchise quarterback. You make a move that allows you to, to go get the guy that you want to be tied to as a general manager because that's what happens. In the NFL, what happens is as, you, as a general manager, you're tied to a coach and you're tied to the quarterback. And if you come into a situation where you don't get to pick the coach because Vic Fangio's not going anywhere, then you dang well better figure out a way to pick your quarterback. And the quarterback that's out there that you should want right now is Justin Fields and his five to seven professional throws. That was it. Sorry. That was an unnecessary dig. I feel it was necessary. And that's what you do. I, I don't care what it is you have to give away. You give, give up, go, go Bill O'Brien and give up all your first round picks. I don't care. That's a guy who can change the course of this franchise for the next 10 to 15 years. And you have to make that move. You have to. Would you go Mike Dicta? Ooh, I, I would go, I would go Herschel Walker style trade. Remember the trade that made the Cowboys so good because they traded Herschel Walker away to the Vikings for all of their draft picks for the for the next three millenniums? I don't remember what the details were. And if you're a draft Nick, you can certainly inform me of what that was. But the reason that the Cowboys were so good in the 90s was because of that trade. Uh, yeah, I would go that direction. I would go that direction knowing that it's a quarterback league and that quarterback is going to have a bigger impact than, say, Herschel Walker or Ricky Williams going to the Saints because Mike Dicka gave away his entire draft so that he could draft Ricky Williams, who was good, but was a running back. What are you doing? It was total Mike Dicka. I'm talking about a quarterback. That's what you need. But, I, yeah, I mean, we're, so we're both in agreement. We're We're finding whatever it takes to get up to number two. And we're doing it. What's your number? Done. Like no haggle, no negotiation. What is it that you need? I will uh, I will fax that over to you, and I will make sure I get it faxed in on time. The other thing that becomes interesting is the whole roster evaluation. I I mean, to me, that's what's going to be very interesting. Who do they do they put tenders on Philip Lindsay? For example, do they put a tender on Tim Patrick? I, I, I mean, it's it's very interesting what the next general manager is going to do. I, I would re-sign Shelby Harris. I would re-sign Justin Simmons. I, I don't know if I would put a second round tender on Philip Lindsay because I don't. I, I, maybe a fourth, maybe. Yeah, I, you know. In terms of, of Philip Lindsay, because now we're going to get killed on this, and that's fine. I like Philip Lindsay. I do. He's he's fun to watch. 
he's just not a good fit for this offense. He's a runner who wants to run between the tackles but is injury prone, and that's not his fault. Don't blame him. And he's also small. He doesn't fumble, which is great. That's fantastic. But he's not really a great pass catcher out of the backfield. So he's not really bringing anything else to the table that Melvin Gordon isn't already bringing to the table and is supposedly better at. If you look at, at least if you look at what the Broncos did down the stretch. So would I love to see Philip Lindsay stay in Denver and, and continue to be a part of the Denver Broncos? Absolutely. That would be great. Is it going to happen? I'm not putting a second round tender on him. Not for a guy who keeps getting injured. Fourth round, fourth round. Sure. Second round, probably not. Then the other thing that I'm doing is I I'm talking to Juwan James because I think his cap situation with the way that it's set up, I don't think it's possible that they can move on from him because of the cap hit. So I'm talking to Juwan James. Mike Munchak is in that. Vic Fangio is in that. Chris Cooper is in that conversation. I'm talking to Juwan James and finding out, are you going to play? What what are you going to do? And I, I'm not going to get into all the stuff about why he opted out. Uh, I'm not going to get into what Garrett Bowles said about Juwan James. I'm talking to Juwan James and seeing where are you at? Because as we've said from the beginning, this is brand new. This is a new start. I, I'm asking him, what's your level of interest? Do you want to play? Where are you at? Because as we saw with right tackle, it is still a gaping hole. I don't know if Juwan James can Juwan James can fill or plug that hole. I think he could be better than what the Broncos had this year. So that I think that would be after after taking care of your in-house free agents, Shelby Harris, Justin Simmons, talking to the Jets. That's next on my list. Yeah, I, th- I think that you're absolutely right about that. Now, the Juwan James things, and I, I, I will kind of get into what Garrett Bowles said uh, just in saying he's got to earn our trust back. I, you know, that's fine. I think Garrett Bowles was, was just sort of talking about his own sort of feelings about things. Quite frankly, if you look at the offensive line, it was not a weakness for the Denver Broncos in 2020, and surprisingly so. Did they have their struggles? Yeah, they did. But it wasn't like – you went into those games thinking, uh-oh, here we go. I mean, Garrett Bowles earned himself a contract extension. The 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 center and the right and left guard are pretty much set for the next couple of seasons. Is right tackle a question mark? Absolutely it is. But is Juwan James a necessary piece to fix the problems at right tackle? I, I'm not sure that he is. So I, I think you're right. I think going and figuring out what is what is his level of interest in actually playing. Uh, we've talked about Juwan James and, and why he opted out. We know uh, that it's it's personal reasons. It's things going on in his family. I get it. I'm not I'm not worried about that. Um, but is he an absolutely necessary piece to the puzzle? I'm not sure that he is. And the issue then becomes, well, what does his contract dictate? Because his contract shifts to 2021. He, he essentially gains another year on his contract because he didn't play in 2020. So how is that going to impact cap space? How is that going to impact what they can do in free agency? That's going to be a big question mark. And I, I think a GM is smart to go and talk to him and say, okay, what are we doing here? Right? What is, what is going to happen moving forward? Because we've got big questions that we need answered. And 
if you're a part of this, then you're a part of it. But if you're not, then let's figure out a way to uh, amicably move on, if you will, so that we can can sort of go our separate ways and then the Denver Broncos can address right tackle in a different way. I think to put a bow on all of this, it's it's just exciting to have that excitement back because we don't know what's going to happen. You're going to see all kinds of hot takes. You're going to see all kinds of reporting from various media personalities over the next couple of weeks. No one knows what's going to happen. They don't even know who they're interviewing yet, aside from Champ Kelly. So how are you going to know what they're going to come in and do when you don't even know what they're going to be discussing in an interview? Just enjoy the process. Be excited about the fact that you have something to be excited about again. That hasn't been the case for five years in Broncos country. It's finally here. And yes, it's somber. As people will read in your article, which I think is, I think you really nailed it with, the, with what's going on with John Elway and what this means. But it also brings excitement back. And regardless of what people want to happen, no one has any idea. We have what we want to happen, but we're not saying it is going to happen. So sit back, enjoy the process, let it play out, and see who they bring in. Because this is a new day for the Denver Broncos. It's, a di- it's, a, it's the sun setting on one and rising on another era, and that's going to be exciting for us. Let's do this. Let's take a break. Uh, that was a fun conversation. I'm excited to see how, how things play out over the course of the next few months. Uh, and then when we come back from our break, we're going to talk about the playoffs. We're going to preview the playoffs a little bit. Obviously, the Broncos aren't involved, but we might as well talk about it. We, you know, we do this all the time. So playoffs, uh, play, playoffs, not for the Broncos, but for a lot of other teams. So let's let's go ahead and take a look at that when we get back. Adam, as we prepare to preview the playoffs, the wild card weekend, and fans always look forward to divisional weekend. Like that is the football weekend. But wild card weekend, three games on both days, I can see why the NFL wanted to have a seventh playoff team. But is there anything more Cleveland Browns than the Cleveland Browns finally making it to the playoffs for the first time in 18 years and now having basically all of their coaching staff out because of COVID-19? I'm laughing. I'm laughing right now because my my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, is is from Ohio. She is a Cleveland Browns fan. She hates John Elway. I've been talking about John Elway in this podcast. She hates him, obviously, the drive and whatnot, and the fumble, and it's you know he's oh horse face and blah blah blah. You know she's got all the all the insults and none of the Super Bowls, and. <laughs> she, she 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 she's so upset about how one how they got into it like she was like they're gonna lose this game to the Steelers I'm like "Eh, they'll be fine Uh, now they're playing the Steelers again only the Steelers are gonna be better because they're getting all these players back and now the Browns I just I love it so much oh I don't care (laughs) and for those who don't know Stevin Kevin Stefanski who is arguably the coach of the year with yeah probably yeah with what he's come in and and done with the Cleveland Browns is now out (laughs) He's not going to be coaching on Sunday against the Steelers. So I have a question for you. In, in our world of 
what, what do we want to call it? We, we live in a world of, of technology, right? We live in a world where, uh, as Kevin Stefanski goes into his quarantine, isn't it possible that, and just hear me out on this, isn't it possible that they could like pipe him in, like they pipe in fake noise at these stadiums? Like, couldn't he watch uh, a feed on a monitor and have a headset on and be in contact with whoever is going to be his assistant? And I, I just not because Isn't Bill I, Belichick already doing that. Right. That's what I'm saying. Right. Like, so they've, I mean, the, the Patriots and Belichick's not, he's not busy. They didn't make the playoffs. So couldn't they talk to Bill and say, Hey, how do we make this work? So that how do we just, record it so that we can do it legally? Just so, just so that he could coach. I'm, I'm not saying that he should or shouldn't. I'm just I'm saying that we do live in a society where we have all this technology. It is something that they could do for the Browns. Again, I don't care. I don't care if the Browns win or lose. I mean, I don't like the Steelers, so go Browns, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. But it is possible that they could do that and make it work. I'm just saying. It sh- they could do it. I don't think the, the the Cleveland Browns are going to beat the Steelers. I especially now without their head coach, it'll be interesting. I, I think it has the potential to be a good game, a close game. To me, I think the game of the weekend is Colts Bills. I I think with how Josh Allen and that offense is rolling right now, and what they just did to the Dolphins, but the Colts, I think, have the defense to stop Josh Allen and the Bills. I think that has a potential to be a very, very good game. I think the game of the weekend. And what's interesting is Frank Reich is going back into Buffalo where he was once the quarterback to lead that incredible comeback against the Houston Oilers. Great, greatest comeback in postseason history, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for for them. And, and Short of the drive. Short, short of the drive. I mean, well, I'm saying numbers wise, wasn't it the bit not yeah, greatest yeah, isn't biggest, wise. largest number, right? The drive was the best, but this was the biggest number uh, to come back and, and get the win. There's no doubt it was the drive. Don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> just make sure we correct ourselves there. This is also a, a crow eating game for us as well. I mean, I'll bring it up every time we talk about Josh Allen. We we missed. I missed big time. Um, big time, you know. And that's and and good for him. And and it's also going to be the game that people watch and point to and say, see, Drew Locke could do that and blah, 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 whatever. That's fine. I'm not worried about it. But you're right. This is maybe the most interesting game of the weekend just because of of the fact that that offense is going to be matching up with a defense that could potentially slow Josh Allen. The issue that the Colts, Colts will have is that they're traveling and they're going to be playing in Buffalo and the Colts play in a dome, and Buffalo is cold and outside, and that's going to that's going to be a factor. It just is. And, and I, isn't Bill's Mafia going to be in attendance? So there's potential for rubber phallus oh, things yes. to be thrown on the field. Yes, it is not a fallacy that they do throw phallic symbols out on the field, uh, and Bill's Mafia is known to toss a dong or two if they need to. So, um, I, yeah, I will say you you mentioned. Uh, the the whole Josh Allen Drew Lock thing uh, before the Bills game for play Colorado, I talked to Cody Tucker, who is a huge University of Wyoming fan. He is someone that I have been linked to since I was up in Cheyenne. I think we're, we're good buddies now, but he runs seventy two twenty Sports, which is devoted to covering the University of Wyoming. And I I wanted to ask him about Josh Allen because he's not just a University of Wyoming fan. 
he's a huge Denver Broncos fan. So I wanted to get the feel for what Pokes fans think of Josh Allen and the success that he has. Because for all the success that Jay Novacek had as a former Poke who played for the Dallas Cowboys, there really hasn't been a University of Wyoming football player to have the success that Josh Allen has had. And talking to him, it was so interesting to see the reaction from Wyoming fans on social media when the story was published. And they basically all agreed with Cody. Like, they hated the fact that John Elway and the Broncos didn't even look at Josh Allen. And it really turned them off from John Elway and the Denver Broncos. And now they are all huge Buffalo Bills fans. It's just an interesting look at it. And the story is on Play Colorado. I would go and suggest reading it. It is a very interesting topic to see how Wyoming fans who are brown and gold fans, but also Denver Broncos fans, and how they feel about Josh Allen not even getting looked at by the Broncos. You know, that's an interesting conversation to have just about fandom in general. I think that one of the things that is fascinating is there are fans who are fans of players, and then there are fans who are fans of teams. And, you you know, you have your teams that you prefer, but some people really do follow players and it becomes sort of an obsession. We talk, I'll talk about it a little bit with my son because the other game that I think is incredibly fascinating this weekend coming up in, in, you know, wild card in the wild card round is the Ravens and the Titans. My son loves Lamar Jackson. Absolutely loves Lamar Jackson. He got a Lamar Jackson Jersey for Christmas. He thinks he's just like the greatest quarterback ever. If you talk to him about who's the best quarterback in the NFL, he says it's Lamar Jackson. I say, well, no, I think it's Patrick Mahomes. He goes, Patrick Mahomes is trash. I've trained him well. He thinks everybody who plays in Kansas City is garbage. Which, (laughs) you know, I'm not saying that's accurate, but it is how we talk. So that's just the way it is. But he is all in on Lamar Jackson. And I have a feeling that for him, Lamar Jackson will be that player that he follows, even though he's not on the Denver Broncos. My son loves the Broncos. He was... He was, you know, hooting and hollering, and the Raiders, when they lost to the Raiders, he was all angry and upset about it. And I'm like, it's gonna be fine. You'll don't don't worry about. It. He's like, you should have won. I can't believe that. You know, whatever. But Lamar Jackson is his guy. You see that more, I think, today with access to players, just in social media, video games, and those kinds of things. And then with the, you know, the inclusion of fantasy football, which is why my son loves Lamar Jackson because I had him. I think you see that more where people follow players more often with this, with the bills thing that doesn't surprise me because I think it is a little insulting. And so if you're a a big Wyoming fan and you saw what Josh Allen could do and you bought into that, and then he got drafted by another team and the Broncos didn't even look at him. Of course, your allegiance is going to shift and rightfully so. I, I don't have a problem with that. It is just a very different way of looking at fandom and the way that that people root for players versus rooting for teams, right? We grew up rooting for a team. We rooted for the Denver Broncos. If somebody left the Denver Broncos, they left the Denver Broncos. They weren't, you know, bye, you know, thanks for your service, but we're Denver Bronco fans. That's just the way that it was. That, that is shifting. That is changing uh, a lot. And I think it has to do with the things like fantasy football and, and stuff like that. So kind of interesting. Just a, just a point I wanted to make. And I do think that that Ravens-Titans game is going to be interesting. It's a revenge game for the Ravens. But the Tennessee Titans, man, they are scary to play. Because Derrick Henry, will he will mess you up. 
He will hit you so hard that your mother says, ouch. He doesn't care that you have a family. He will put you into the ground, and he'll rush for 220 yards and three touchdowns like it's his job. I mean, it is his job, but you know what I mean. I, I That game is very interesting because the Ravens were the best team in the AFC, at least record-wise, last year. They had home field advantage. They had a first-round bye, and then Tennessee comes in and beats them in the divisional round of the playoffs. I mean, just smacked him in the mouth. That is going to be a very interesting game to see how John Harbaugh and his coaching staff gets them ready to play against the Titans. Because as you said, Derrick Henry is a beast. He just finished with 2,000 yards rushing in a pass-heavy league. And I believe he needed like 200 and and something yards to get to 2,000, and he just went out and did it. So I think that game has the potential. I think the other one is Rams-Seahawks. And it, like Browns-Steelers, it's another divisional matchup. And those teams play great games all the time. It's a good rivalry. It's up in Seattle. I'm curious to see how the Rams, if Jared Goff, if he plays how he plays with his thumb, I think the thing that the Rams have going for them is that defense – I mean, anytime you have Aaron Donald. Yeah, Aaron Donald's a cheat code. That's true. So yeah, it'll be a fun one. I, I think the two – and then there's two games that I think are not going to be close. That's Tampa and Washington football team. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers should rather easily win that game. Should, yeah. I and agree. then the New Orleans Saints will easily beat the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I mean, there's no question there. It, obviously, Tampa Bay, and, and I, in my opinion, the two teams in the NFC that are the most uh, capable of challenging for the Super Bowl or challenging uh, the Packers for getting to the Super Bowl are the Bucks and, and the Saints, obviously. And one of those teams could do that. Uh, Washington football team is a lo- has a losing record and is in the playoffs. That is uh, the one problem that I am going to have with these playoffs. I'm a, I'm a big fan of... Uh, at least as far as this kind of – we live in a society where travel isn't that big a deal, I think, and so divisions aren't as necessary. If you want to crown somebody the NFC East champion, that's fine, but then you could go get other teams with better records and bring them into the playoffs. I think that's what you should do when it comes to this. I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of bringing teams with losing records into the playoffs. So the hope is that the 7-9 and nine Washington football team does not win but we have also seen in the past teams with losing records that get into the playoffs win their first game I, I think that the, the, the Seahawks for example against the Saints so it isn't something that would be unprecedented but I don't believe it's going to happen here and, and I don't believe that the Bears really have a shot at beating the Saints the Saints are I mean, if, if your tier one is, is the Packers, the saints are not that far behind. Uh, and, and so I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they, you know, beat the bears up in a, in a pretty sound fashion. It just wouldn't surprise me at all. So who do you have winning? I, I think, I think the bills are going to beat the Colts. Yep. I think the Seahawks are going to beat the Rams. Yeah. Tampa will beat Washington. Yes. I think, I think the Baltimore Ravens get their revenge on the Titans. Nope. Oh, going different way there. I am, I'm going to go oppo on that. I, Derrick Henry. And and you know what? Ryan Tannehill is actually a pretty good quarterback. And and he doesn't get the credit he deserves because of Derrick Henry, because Derrick Henry makes him better, a lot like Terrell Davis made John Elway better. But 
they've got weapons in in uh, AJ Brown and in, and um, in Corey Davis that that they can throw to, and then Derrick Henry will punch you in the face and, and run past you and wave. He doesn't care, uh, and and I just think that the the Ravens, while Lamar Jackson is a great football player, the Ravens just won't have the ability to keep up with what the Titans want to do. I saw an interesting thing I was watching. I think it was my son wanted to watch good morning football this morning and they were talking about it. And the biggest concern for the Ravens is we will be watching him watching Lamar Jackson on the sidelines, not because he's injured, but because he can't get on the field because Tennessee will control the clock with Derrick Henry. So I kind of, I lean towards Tennessee on that one. So I'm going to go ahead and pick them. And then I have the saints and Steelers. Yeah, I'm going to go oppo on that one as well. I'm going to pick the Browns just for fun. I don't really think they're going to win, but why not, right? If I, if, if I want to place a bet, I'll bet on the Browns. I don't think they're going to win, but I'll put a bet on the Browns. Why not? And if, if we're going to go that route, the underdog that I think has the, the, biggest, the biggest upside is the Colts. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos.